Amen. Amen. Can we just give God a round of applause real quick? Just praise him a little bit longer. Excellent. Excellent. And then for the band as well, then they did a great job. That was excellent. Thank you so much, guys, for leading us in worship. That was, that was excellent. You all can be seated, please. Oh, gosh. Real quick, is that too bright for you guys? Are you cool with that being open? I just like the natural light. Normally we shut it, but if you guys are cool, then I'm going to leave it open. You guys good? Okay, cool. All right, well, I'm Jesse. I'm not Adam, obviously, um, and I'm filling in for Adam today uh, to teach, but uh, I'm really excited to, to be sharing some time with you guys. I do have to just let you guys know off the bat, I have been moving since like Friday at 3.30, so I'm a little tired, so I'm going to need a little help. Just, just walk with me. If I lose my place a little bit as we go, just, just keep me on track, that kind of thing. If I fall asleep while I'm talking, just, just you know, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to fall asleep. It's fine. Um, but so if you're new, if this is your first time here, or if you just haven't been here in a while, we are doing a series right now um, called Swipe Right. And uh, basically, we are tackling three main topics, sex, romance, and marriage, from the perspective of what society is saying and then what the Lord is saying about it. And so um, our first session was with Adam. It was a session uh, titled um, Water to Drink, uh, or Water Everywhere, but Not a Drop to Drink. And some of the main lies, every single session we attack a lie that the enemy has established about one of those areas. And the main lies that we attacked were one, uh, sex is just physical, which is not true. Sex is physical and spiritual. It's incredibly powerful. The next one was that I can do whatever I want to right now and have what God wants for me later, which is uh, lie number two. And then the, the third one was um, it's, it's just too late for me. I, I've made too much of a mess of my life. And that's kind of a common theme through this uh, whole series. Uh, week two was taught by Kelsey Stuckwish, or now Kelsey Poppenpoose. I apologize. I know her from before that. But she did an amazing job. It, all of these are going to be online as well. Most of the new ones are up online, so feel free to go back if you've missed them. Uh, anybody who is currently listening online, thank you so much. We're glad that you made it to the net page. We hope that this ministers to your heart. But um, week three, Adam spoke two weeks ago, and it was the things we carry. The idea that the decisions of today we will carry into our marriage um, with um, the attack of the lie being that um, marriage can kind of fix my problems. If I'm stuck in sexual sin, if I'm having an affair, or if I'm struggling with porn, that when I get married, it'll just magically fix things. Uh, and then also he ended with the idea that um, you're not too far gone. Your life isn't a wreck to the point where you can't be redeemed. And so now we're getting into week four, which is why I'm standing up here. And uh, I have to be honest, I'm teaching on um, something that when, when Adam first asked me to teach on it, I was like, well, dude, clearly I'm not uh, equipped to speak on this because I am speaking directly on marriage. And if you didn't notice, I'm not married yet. So this is kind of awkward. <laughs> it was weird. He asked me to do this. And uh, luckily, uh, to the benefit of my life entirely, I am getting engaged. I am engaged. I'm getting married on October 6th to Katie. So I'm incredibly excited. But immediately the enemy started attacking me and was like, ooh, you know, you're not married. You probably shouldn't be talking on this. And um, then Adam kind of got into what we were going to be talking about. And the general lie that I am hopefully going to be building a case against for you that you can carry out today is this. It's the idea. <laughs> Sorry, I get really excited because I am about to be married and I am very excited about marriage. But it's the idea that your life ends when you get married. It's the ball and chain 
All of your excitement in life, the fun time of your life is over. You better get it out before you get married because once you get married, it's just going to be a drab. There's going to be no fun, no spontaneity, nothing. And I have to stand here and tell you as a man who's going to be married in a few months, I cannot wait to be married. I am so excited about marriage. But to understand the lie that the enemy has spun into our society and into our culture, I want to read an article from Time Magazine a while back. Time magazine released this, um, this article all about marriage. And this is the main piece. This is what Time magazine, some of what we call the best journalists in the world, say about marriage. <clears throat> there is a reason fairy tales end in marriage, which if you think about today, the movies, the romantic comedies, the fairy tales, they do all end in marriage. That's accurate. It's because nobody wants to see what comes after. It's too grim. Meeting the right person, working through comedic misunderstandings, those stories are worth telling. Even overcoming disapproval from family to get all the way to the altar. But plodding on year after year with the same old soul, Yonsville. Yeah, right? Wow. Wow. That's what, that's what, that's what our culture thinks about marriage. It blows my mind, but this is what the enemy has done. This is the lie that the enemy has established for us. And the crazy thing is, you know, he broke marriage. He enticed us. He tricked us into approaching marriage different than the way the Lord wanted us to. But here is the real trick. He has now convinced us that it's not him that's done it. It's just marriage is broken. So first he breaks marriage. And he gets us to go about it. We get indulged in sexual sin early. We have multiple partners. We enjoy a life full of porn, a lust, all that stuff. But then we get to the marriage bed and we get ready. And he says, well, marriage is broken. Can't you see? I mean, society has proven that like with 50% divorce rate, marriage just doesn't work. And so now he's trying to convince us that it's broken simply because marriage just never worked from the beginning, which is far beyond the truth, far beyond the truth. Anything given, given to us from the Lord is a gift. And that's what I'm going to be arguing today against this article. And, and the thing is, when we, when we start getting into that kind of depth of lie, where it's a lie twisted on top of another lie, it's hard to find the truth. It really is. I did a lot of studying, obviously, like I told you guys, I'm not married yet. And and I've done a lot of study trying to get into married people's minds, understand what they're going through. And so the thing is, and I am here, hopefully, to encourage you that marriage is fun. I, I grew up in, in, a, in a, I hit the lottery. My parents stay together their whole life. They're incredibly happy. They're Christian people. They raised me in a home that was encouraging. And I realize that's not everyone's story. But let me just be the one to stand in front of you and tell you from the day I was born, I got to window to look into a happy, exciting, spontaneous, fun, encouraging, not easy all the time, but excellent marriage. And it can be done that way, and it's supposed to be done that way when we walk in what God has for us, the best of what God has for us. And so as we're walking through this, I just... I, we're going to talk about some of the bad, some of the stuff that we're getting ready to walk through, some of the bad things that are going on in marriage. There are three statistics that, when I read them, scared the crap out of me just for other people because I, I'm, I'm trying to do it as best as I can, and I'm going to fight my butt off for my marriage, and I know people who aren't, and I'm worried for them. But marriage is a gift. Remember that. Marriage is one of the—it's the closest relationship you're going to have on earth 
outside of your relationship with Jesus. There is not a person or a being that you will be closer to in this life than your spouse outside of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And the other thing is, culture also has spun a web that it's perfectly fine to have a relationship with him and him and him or her and her and her, and you can have these off and on, off and on, off and on. Well, let me be the testimony of that not working. That was the story of my entire first half of my life, multiple relationships, absolute disaster. I got into depression. I got into borderline alcoholism. I was a casual drug user, a casual sex user, and my life was a wreck. And the issue was that in every relationship I had, I was not willing to invest to gain interest. You guys know how like equity works? Like You spend time on something, and the more time you put in, the more you get out of it, the more return you get. And the issue with society, whether it be Tinder or social media or Hollywood, where we see you know, one person's married to one person one day, and then five months later they're divorced and they're married with another person. All this is building up, and no one's getting equity because they're not putting their eggs right here and saying, I'm going to invest in this and get my time out. Katie and I have been together about a year and a half, and I, like, it's only been a year and a half, and I can't even imagine going to someone else the short time we've been together, we've laughed together, we've cried together, we've fought at each other, and we've had inside jokes, we've done all this stuff, and it's, but it's been amazing, and it's been hard, but I am, there is no way you could convince me, take your money out of that bank, go over there and start over again. No, absolutely not. I have too much invested in this to walk away from it. But society's saying, oh, you don't need all that. You can have everything you want, just do it with multiple people you don't get anything real. You don't get any return on that. You just get an investment, and then it's gone. And then you invest, and then it's gone. Well, it's no wonder every 35 seconds we're worried about, oh, what's someone saying about me? Oh, I wonder if that person just looked at me that right way. Or, well, no wonder, because the model we've been building is I put a little bit in. If I don't get anything cool, I'll go somewhere else. I'll put a little bit over here. If I don't get anything cool, I'll go somewhere else. We have this repetitive cycle that just turns over and over and over and over, and there's no return for us in that. There's no return for that. But the enemy wants us to think that that's the exciting life. That's the party life. That's the fun life. Yeah, that's going to be great. When really all you do is wake up alone and with a headache. That's all it is. And, and, but let me tell you, I'll just, I just be upfront with you. Doing it the way the Lord has, has it for you is not easy. Doing it the way the Lord doesn't have for you is not easy. I would be insane if I got up here and said, marriage is amazing. It's awesome. It's easy. Just do it the way the Lord wants to and you'll be fine. That's not the case. 50% of first marriages in America end in divorce. 67% of second marriages end in divorce. And 73% of third marriages end in divorce. It is not easy. It is going to take a lot of sweat, a lot of tears, a lot of work. The best way to spell marriage is W-O-R-K. Work, 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 work. <laughs> but no, but seriously, that's, that is the case. But... What I am telling to you is all of that work, all of that effort, all of that sweat, all of that is worth it. Marriage is 100% worth fighting for, worth fighting for. That is the message that when you leave today, I want you to know that marriage, the way the Lord has it designed, the way he wants it for you is, in is just enormously worth it. And we're going to learn a little bit as we walk through a couple ideas of how to fight for that, but... 
If you have your Bibles today, we are going to be reading in Exodus 17. It's going to be uh, verses 9 through 13 is going to be like our core scripture. If you don't have your Bible, you can use your phone. If you're tweeting on Twitter, I, don't, I won't know. It's fine. You can have your phones out. I would prefer that I take a chance that you're on the Bible than tweeting, but that's totally fine. So I'm going to read this real quick, and we'll get the parameter of the story. But just a little bit of backstory. This is in Exodus, and the, the um, Israelites have just left Egypt in years and years and years of slavery. So they're kind of in this honeymoon phase with the Lord. The Lord has delivered them out of, out of Egypt. And just so you know, the, um, the Israelites now, through Jesus bringing everyone in, we're, that's the church, that's the bridegroom of Christ. So understand that that relationship, Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride of Christ. And at this time, that's who they represent. This group of people is the bride. And they are on their way out of free, out of uh, slavery, excuse me. And what we're looking at is this honeymoon phase. They're on their way to the promised land. Everything's great. We're out of slavery. We've got an awesome God-driven leader in Moses, and it's awesome. And all of a sudden, like a lot of marriages, you get in that honeymoon phase. It's amazing. Things are going great. And then it settles in back to real life. And not that it's miserable, but you're two people living in the same space, and you haven't done that yet. And it's like, oh, cool. You're just going to leave your toothbrush unwashed on the sink. Okay. I guess we'll figure that out, you know. Um, uh, you know or you're not going to flush the toilet. There's just things, you know. And there's going to be a fight. fight. That's what people do. It fights. It's okay. It's natural. So just in rare form, just like that, all of a sudden, the Israelites are on their way, and bam, they're met with a group called the Amalekites, and this huge battle is, is, is out. And the Amalekites are just trying to just ruin the Israelites. So we're going to pick it up in verse 9, uh, and this is what it says. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill, holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired, he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until the sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in the battle. Will you guys pray with me real quick? Dear Lord, we just welcome you tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word. I thank you for the hearts in this room that are in tune, Lord, just, just wanting, to, wanting to know you, wanting to get to know you better, maybe meeting you for the first time, Lord. I pray that uh, as a vessel for you, Lord, you just remove everything of me in this equation, Lord. I just want to speak the words that you have for me to deliver to them. Lord, be with us, teach us, and let us go out and be more like you as we leave tonight, Lord. It's all in your son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So there's this, there's this story um, in, a, in a marriage book that, uh, so this series was written by a pastor named Levi Lesko, and he's an excellent pastor, and he talks about this story, which is pretty funny, and I, I thought I would share it with you guys. So basically one morning there's this couple, and the husband walks into the kitchen, and the wife is there, and she's uh, pouring a cup of coffee, and she's in a really nice new dress, and it's got a zipper on the back. And so he goes in, and he's, like, affectionately playing with her, like, zipping it down and unzipping it, and like, hey, come on, you know, I'm doing it, da da And she's not really in the mood at all, like, not at all, like, not feeling it. And she's like, quit, I have a meeting, stop it, quit. And obviously, as a guy, 
that just makes him accelerate even more. So he's like zipping and even lower, and he's like up and down and up and down. And finally, she just gets over it. She goes, I said, stop it. And she walks away. Well, he, he had the zipper like real, real well in his hand and pulled the zipper right off the dress. Like he just ripped it right off the dress. And she did not love that at all. So she gets mad, storms upstairs, changes. See, what he didn't know was she had picked this dress out, purchased it at the beginning of the week for this specific day for a specific meeting. She had decided, I have this big meeting, big presentation. I'm going to look this way. I'm going to feel this way. I'm going to crush this meeting. It's going to be amazing. So she goes upstairs, gets changed, storms out, doesn't even say bye, just leaves, right? And she just stewed in it all day, just, just all day. You just rip, you know, that thing. That's kind of how, that's how, that's how women are, right? The, how, much, how, much do you think, how much do you think he thought about it? Zero. He thought about that zero for the rest of the day. See, here's the thing. It's, 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 it's said, okay. <laughs> uh, it's said like this. You know, men are kind of like waffles and women are like spaghetti, right? So like he, like that, that happened in the morning. It's bad. He's going to work. He's got a different zone for that. That's the morning zone with his wife. He's in a different zone. This is work. That doesn't bother me. I don't think about that. I got work to do. Whereas, like, with her, like, he pulled a string and the whole glob went, right? It's just, like, everything is connected to everything, and he's not worried about anything. Like, he's like, it's my, it's, if something bad happens at work, then it affects my sex life. My sex life's over here. I get my wife mad over here. I'll deal with that when I get back to that zone. I got work to do over here, right? So she has been just, like, working herself up, and he's just been at work. And so she comes home to find her husband in the driveway under the car working on, a, on something, on a muffler or something like that. And she decides, okay, now's my time. See, because only his legs were sticking out and his zipper. So she gets out of the car. She walks up, and she just, how you like it, just up and down. And, uh, uh, and, it's, and she just lets him have it, right? Just lets him have it. And a, as soon as she figured out that, like, he's had enough, I've proven my point, she went in the house where she uh, pleasantly met her husband in the kitchen pouring a cup of tea and obviously her face is like ghost white and she was like what what are you doing in here and he's like stunned like i i live here i don't uh what and she was like you're supposed to be under the car and and he is like just so confused and so finally he's like i don't understand what's going on she's like who's under the car outside and he's like our next door neighbor he he saw me working on the car he came over to help i'm getting him some tea it's fine what's going on so obviously now she explains to him what's going on. They run out to the car, and there's a pair of legs sitting outside of the car, and they're just stone still, just stone still. And so they call out to him, nothing, nothing. They call a little bit louder, nothing. So finally they wheel him out, and he is knocked out cold because he did like what everyone would do if you're under a car and your zipper just starts moving. He sat up, and he knocked himself out cold into the, <laughs> oh, gosh. I read that story, and I was like, this is fantastic. I have to share this. I have to share this. And it, it's just so perfect because one of the constants in relationship, I don't care if it's a marriage or if it's a friendship or if it's family, conflict always arises in relationship. It's just inevitable. It's not a bad thing. Actually, in most cases, it helps us work out differences. It helps us meet a common ground. But it's just inevitable. It just happens. Even with the ones we love, conflict always comes up. 
And, and when we're talking about a biblical marriage, when we're talking about walking down the road that God has set up for the framework of marriage, the thing that you need to really know is this. Anywhere, at any time, that God does something, the enemy opposes it. No matter what. That is his number one motive. Number one objective. I want, he wants to, not me, I'm not, yeah, I mean, let's go for it. The enemy, Satan, he wants to stop every seed that the Lord plants at any cost. And to prove that to you, I'll show you. In the very first marriage in Genesis, you have Adam and Eve, and they are uh, brought together in chapter 2, 23 through 25. And then we also have to jump to um, chapter 3, verse 1. There's a chapter division, but it's, when it was originally written, there's not a chapter division. So you need to know that these events happened back to back to back. So this is when God decided that it wasn't healthy for Adam to be, be alone anymore. And so this is, what he, this is what it says, as is Adam's reaction to seeing Eve for the first time. It says, alas, the man exclaimed, the one, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. It's the two becoming one. Adam talked about that last week. Now the man and his wife were both naked and they both felt no shame. So that's the marriage bed. That's the first night. We all know what's going on there. They felt no shame. The next verse, the serpent. So we've got this, okay, at 24, man leaves his mom and dad, he goes with his wife, 25, they are naked and unashamed, unbridled in the, in the way that the Lord has designed it, the next thing, then the serpent, the very next thing. See, the, the two becoming one, that is the mark of a biblical relationship where God has taken two people in two walkways of life, doing two things, and they have decided that we love each other, and under the umbrella of how God has designed it, we want to be unified. So they become one. And the enemy knows something very specific about this union that you need to know. When the two become one, there is no closer unity, and unity means power. Division means weakness. And the number one skill of the enemy is division. So unity means power, and you need to understand that. That's why God designed marriage to be a unifying thing between two. It's not two people just moving into the same house. It's two people entirely as beings becoming one in their relationship with the Lord and in their relationship with each other. And when we get that understand, under understanding, it makes a little more sense why, if that's power, if unity is power, it makes sense why the enemy would, come, would want to come against this. Now, I want to pause for a minute because I recognize a large portion of the people in here aren't married. And you're probably getting to the point where it's like zone out time, like, cool, talked about marriage, got a couple cool points in my notebook, I'm ready to just like be done with this. And I get that, but hit pause on that because there is a very important lesson that I want you to understand. You do not, you do not want to have to learn CPR the moment you need it. What do I mean? I mean, this message needs to be preventative, not prescriptive. I do not want to give you medicine once you're sick. I want you to be prepared when the day comes to administer CPR. I want you to be prepared the day comes when that person, as amazing as they are, walks in your life and you decide, I want to be with you for the rest of my life. I do not want you to start working on your relationship then. You need to start working on it now because you will need a prescription if that does, if that day comes. 
You will, and it will be harder. It's not impossible. I'm not telling you you can't do it. I'm just telling you you shouldn't do it because it's going to be a lot harder, a lot harder. So please stay with me. I know some of this stuff feels like it's not aimed towards you, but one day you're going to be married. If that's the, if that's the road you're going, you're going to be married. On the other side of things, the relationship that we have with Jesus is modeled for marriage. We are the bride of Christ. Our relationship with Jesus is to be exactly like the marriage relationship. So if nothing else, take these principles and pour them into your relationship with Jesus, and you will inevitably grow better. So if you're single in the room, please, please, please hang on to this stuff. It is, it is worthwhile. All right, so we just realized that unity is power, and we've got all this. Cool. One other thing that we need to focus on is not just our lives. The idea of generational follow-through is important because when the enemy sees you, one person, and your spouse, one person, become one, he doesn't just see you two. He doesn't just see you two. He looks down the road. He looks at your kids. He looks at your grandkids and your great-grandkids because what he wants to make sure does not happen is that your unity stays your entire marriage because if you stay unified your entire marriage in a selfless forgiving, loving, sacrificing marriage, not a marriage where it's like, oh, well, you did that, so I get to go do this, or you spent this, so I get to spend that. But it is unified in the understanding that if I sacrifice for my wife, that's me growing. That's me getting better because we're one person. If, if, if my husband needs something and I can sacrifice to make him better, I'm getting better. If you're walking in that, your kids are going to know about it. Your grandkids are going to know about it. And Satan is terrified that generations down the road are going to look at your marriage and say, that's the kind of marriage I want. I want a Jesus-filled, loving, sacrificing, amazing marriage for 60, 70, however many years you're married. That's what I want. That's what he's worried about. So when you guys join together, he immediately starts working in the depression of your kids. He immediately starts thinking about the suicide attempts of your grandkids or the drug addictions of your great-great-grandkids. He is thinking follow-through. And so in everything that we do, we have to think follow-through too. It's not just about us. We have to think about the kingdom of God and how we are affecting that. And in that, the way we set up for the rest of our family, for the rest of our generations, starts with the way we handle our relationships, our marriages, our friendships. And I've spread that across all the relationships because it doesn't matter. How you treat your friends, how you treat your family, how you treat your spouse, that's all going to be reflected onto the image of what our kids and people down the road, the people around us think about how we manage our relationships. So with that, I want to do an analogy because, like I said, the devil is all about division, right? And we've got this unity that we now know in marriage is super important, not just for us, but for down the road, for our kids, maybe our friends' kids. And that issue arises in the devil's purview, and he says, well, I can't have that happen. I really hope I don't drop this cake or knock over that guitar. Cool. So this is my makeshift wedding cake. I tried to get Katie to do this for my wedding, for our wedding. Our wedding, not my wedding. Her, her <laughs> wedding, her wedding. Uh, <laughs> but she's not feeling it. Anyway, so we've got our bride and groom, right? And... And there are a lot of things that you could think of, just practical things, like, well, if they lie or if they're, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff that, that would make sense. But there are a couple ideas 
things that I don't think a lot of people think about in marriage that I think should be addressed. And the first one's debt. Debt is the number one sided thing in divorce. Number one, not adultery, not unfaithfulness, debt. So what happens, we take our groom here, we move him over a little bit, take our bride, move her over a little bit, and my debit card gets really gross. <laughs> so we have debt in the middle of us, and I forgot one of my props over here. I'm going to walk over this way. <clears throat> the next thing is social media. You know, you see these pictures on social media all the time of what marriages used to look like in bed. You got, you got people wrapped up, and their feet are all tangled in, and they just, like, love each other so much, you know. And now we've got two people rolled the other way in the glow of the screen on their face. So, okay. So, <laughs> all right, that works. So, the next thing is money. You think about the progression of a career. Someone gets a potential promotion, that kind of thing. It takes, we have to move. And you think about questions that you have to work through with your family and your wife of, and your husband of, okay, well, am I taking my family out of a community, of a church, of a, of a thriving area for me and my wife, a thriving area for, for my kids, all that stuff. And, and you hear people say, well, yeah, but it's more money. It'll, it'll, I'll, I'll be able to give them a better life. And it's like, well, shoot, I hope it's a lot of money because I heard therapy is real expensive. <laughs> you know? And so this gets jammed in the middle and is now another thing in between us. And my nice little minions here. This is something that I don't think a lot of people think about. The issue with a marriage and the thing that I think people forget is that the primary focus, the number one priority is you and your spouse and Jesus. That's number one. Through your entire life, that's number one. And people don't think about kids potentially being a problem in the marriage. And it's not that kids are bad. Kids are excellent. They're wonderful. But they can't be priority number one. They're high up there. They're super important. But what we see sometimes is an issue. I'm just going to set these guys up here. Um, where mom and dad take off the husband hat or the wife hat and put mom and dad hat on, and they never put husband and wife hats back on. And so then we get into an issue where my wife only ever dresses up for work events or going out with the girls, and she doesn't do things for me that we used to whenever we were focused on each other. And, and as a wife, you, your husband doesn't do the, the duties he's supposed to of getting things done around the house or focusing on you and loving on you and, 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 and complimenting you on a daily basis, letting you know you're beautiful, letting you know that you're a priority woman in his life no matter what. Those things stop to or start to decline. And when that happens, that's when Wonder Woman comes into play. And so now we've got Wonder Woman up here. Hey, girl, what up? Mm, you know? And this starts to happen. And it seems silly. It seems silly. But to this guy with a wife who he feels like has been neglecting him for years, only focused on the kids, only doing stuff that she has to, Wonder Woman looks pretty appealing. But two can play at that game. So now we got Batman. What up, girl? How you doing? If I were your husband, I would. And so now, look at our cake. This is the top tier of our cake. This is supposed to be me and my spouse and Jesus. Now I got all this business up on my cake. And that's not okay. So what we need to do is refocus on each other, bring the priority back to the priority. It's not that these things are bad, but debt. That is my debit card. Mm. 
it's, it's important. Student debt, hello, how you doing? I got it. Okay. But it's important, but it just can't be on the top tier of the cake. So we'll put it down here. It needs to be worked on, but we need to focus on that. Money is important. We got to pay the bills. Not priority number one, though, for sure. We'll put that over here. The kids, love them. Amazing. Like, they're, they're in the Bible, they're called one of the, the greatest blessing of life. They're amazing. And we love them, and we're going to just kind of smash them in here. Get these guys nice and snug. They just can't be on the top of our cake, right? And and well, these clowns, they don't even get to play anymore. <laughs> because now what we get, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be tasty later. Now what we get is two right next to each other in a marriage with Jesus being the focus. And their priorities are there, but they're just not priority number one. Priority number one is them and Jesus. Two, becoming one, intertwined with Jesus. And that's the important part. I want this to, I hope that this was funny enough to stick into your head because this stuff is real. These issues are not big issues if you deal with them, but they need to be deal, dealt with in the proper place. Our marriages are worth fighting for, and some of the stuff that we don't expect can be the biggest issues against them. And what we're looking at when we manage that kind of stuff is a crowded cake. And then the kids start to leave house and go on to their next life, get married, that sort of thing. And in a marriage, generally, a, an uncrowded house just shows an empty marriage. The kids leave. The debt's gone. We're making plenty of money, but our marriage is empty because we made everything else the number one focus. And so with this... If you keep this the same, if you keep this the way it's supposed to be, when your kids are gone and they're on to their next life, and that's what kids are. The Bible tells us kids are arrows that are meant to be launched out. The idea of building a marriage where the majority of it or all of it is focused on the kids is not sustainable. The kids are meant to go. The marriage is supposed to stay. The kids are designed to be prepared and launched out in life. You and your spouse are staying together forever. Priority number one. All right, so <clears throat> with that, I want to jump into my last little section here. We really have three points, two, po two point pieces of application, two pieces of application. We're going to jump back into Exodus 17 with Joshua and Moses. And with Joshua and Moses, <clears throat> we want to take one characteristic from each one. So we're going to start with Joshua, right? So Joshua, you know, we've got, uh, and I'll just give you a refresh. So Moses is up on the hill, right? And he's got his... His rod of the rod of God, which is a symbol of God's power. And it, he's got it up. As long as Moses holds this rod up, then Joshua's good. So Joshua's down in the valley. And Joshua is fighting the Amalekites. He's doing practical work. Practical, practical work. And this is the thing that I want you to recognize. Your plan with Moses praying and Joshua fighting. Your plan, whether it be tackling sin, and trust me, I'll be right there alongside of you. I got my issues just like anybody else. It has to be practical and spiritual. Too many times Christians step into the ring against sin, and they kind of have this mentality, and I hate, I hate this saying, but it's just let God and let go. God will just handle it. He'll just do it all. He'll do everything. He'll handle it all. I, I can't stand that. There is not one situation 
in the Bible where God stepped in and didn't ask for someone to do something, whether it was to worship or to pray. Here's the deal. Trust God. Ultimately, to the end of the day, trust God, but don't be stupid. Don't be lazy. He is calling you to be practical, but it, it seems silly that God would just let you kick your feet back. Like, he let his own son die on the cross. You think he's just going to let you chill while he takes care of your business? No, right? So, from Joshua, we see he's doing practical work. He's down in the valley, and he's drawing his sword. And this is the point that I want you to get from Joshua, is to keep a cool head. He's down there, and he's fighting, and it's probably super intense and super laborsome, and he knows that the word of God has already been given to Moses, that as long as Moses holds his arms up with the rod of God, that he will be successful. But he's still in the heat of it, and he's got to keep a cool head. Interestingly enough, uh, the cheetah is the fastest land mammal, since you asked. Um, and the cheetah can run up to the point where its brain is at 105 degrees Fahrenheit. And the labor of his, the muscles moving, that's a lot. That's really hot. The gazelle, on the other hand, can run until its body is at 109. Now, here's the break point. For the cheetah, at 105 with its brain, it has one of two choices. It can either stop, pant, and live, but the gazelle gets away, or it can drop dead on the spot. If it gets any hotter, it instantly dies because it cooks its brain. Okay, there's some application there. We'll get there. But the gazelle, the gazelle, and this is amazing. This is, this is, this is, the, this is the, the amazing thing. The gazelle can run until its body is 109, and at 109, its brain is at 105. But here's the difference, and this is how God just blesses even the creatures that roam our earth. The gazelle has a different airway passage that when it breathes in, as it runs, the air comes up over its head into its, into its nose and over the brain, and it cools its brain down every single breath. So why do gazelles get away when they do? This is literally a situation where cooler heads prevail. <laughs> like literally, cooler heads prevail. So when you're out there like Joshua, and you're drawing your sword on sin, and you're ready to go, and you're ready to take the battle in a direction you haven't taken before, understand yourself. Be practical about your limits. If you, and I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll volunteer myself up. A lot of you guys, I told you guys some about my story tonight, and I, tr I, I, I try and incorporate my story into this as much as I can, because the Lord has redeemed my life in a way that's just so immeasurable to me. But Know your limits. If you're stuck in a situation where you can't get away from someone that you're just tempted every single time to, to meet up and have sex, or if you're stuck on porn, or if you're stuck on drinking or whatever, sit down with yourself and be practical. What is my limit? What is my limit? And then find a way to make sure you never, ever get to that point. Because like this cheetah, you can get going. You can get bait, you just get so hot and it's so intense and you're just going and going and going and going. And if you have not fortified yourself in a way to protect yourself, you are going to get to that point where it's drop dead or let it go. And you're going to choose drop dead and you're going to die to the life that you want for Jesus for the life that you want right now. You are. I'm, I'll, I've done it a thousand times in my life, way more than that. It, it will happen. It's hard. So make sure that you are building practical measures in your life to keep you away from those areas. 
one thing you need to know about the areas is oftentimes they don't go from zero to 105 degrees in a second. They generally start small. Solomon is writing in the Bible and he's talking about this issue and he's pleading out to God for help. He says, let us catch the foxes that spoil the grape buds before they are able to ripen to maturity. Basically, what Solomon is saying, he's got this issue. He's got these gardens, right? And grapes are this big production of fruit that they use for food and wine and all that kind of stuff. And these little Middle Eastern foxes are small and they're hard to catch, would get into the, to the area, the vineyards, and they would eat the buds before they could ripen. And what Solomon is saying is, Lord, we need this food. We need this stuff to keep going. Please help us stop them these small little foxes. And what I'm saying is, is generally in your life, those problems start small. But if you let those problems go on and on and on, one day you're going to wake up to your vineyard and there's going to be no productivity. There's going to be no growth. You're not going to have any kind of harvest over all of that season of planting and growing and watering, but they start small. So if you can, as Joshua, draw your sword on the temptation that's small in your life, build practical measures around the big ones, but start on the small stuff you will start to see in harvest time growth on your vines, on your spiritual. You're going to see a growth in your spiritual relationship with Jesus. You're going to see growth in the physical relationship with your spouse and with the physical relationship with your friends. You're going to start seeing that growth. So start working on the small things. The second point, and I'm going to need some help acting this out if I could get a couple guys, is from Moses. So Moses has the rod of God, right? And this rod is um, the same rod that Moses has been carrying. Basically, um, it's not powerful. It's not the rod itself. It's a symbol of God's power. It's the one that he used to turn the Nile to blood. It's the one that he parted the Red Sea. So Moses is up there, right? And he's on the mountain. He's got Aaron and her, and he's up like this, holding this. But they're fighting all day. I'm already tired, <laughs> right? And I'm guessing, I mean, this thing weighs like nothing. I'm guessing that like his rod is like a walking stick he used for 40 years through the desert. It's probably a little more sturdy. And so, so he gets tired, which there's a message in that of like, anybody ever just get tired of fighting sin? I do. I get tired. It's hard work. Some days it's just like, I can't even breathe. I just want to indulge. So what does he do? He hacks his life with two men that he knows can go to battle with him. And so they bring in a rock. I'm using a chair, but they brought in a rock. So let's just visualize for a little while. And they sit him down, and he puts his arms up. And when he starts to get tired, they brace him so that they can hold, so that he can hold the rod up. So I don't have to do anything. I'm not, they're holding my arms up. I'm, I'm not even doing anything. They're doing it. And so Moses has established this situation. All right, you guys can stay up here for a minute. And so he's hacked his life. To the point where he knows I will fail. I am not strong enough to do this, but I've got people in my life. And with that, I just want to let you know that this is a, a biblical representation of someone building a community around them. And I want you to know right now, if you're new in this community tonight, this is that community for you. And if you don't believe me, I'm going to show you. I'm going to give you a real honest picture. If I could have my small group guys stand up. And if I could have the core leadership of the net stand up. And if I could have Katie please stand up. One more time, can I have the small group leader stand up as well? Because y'all meet with me too. 
three years ago, I was drinking five nights a week, recreationally doing drugs, having sex with whoever I could. I got into this ministry, and these people that are standing right now walked with me. They loved me. They cared about me. They brought grace and forgiveness in times where I was a wreck. I sat at dinner with Adam, and if he were here, he'd be standing too, because he literally pulled me out of the gutter. And I ordered a beer, and he didn't. And I asked him, why didn't you order a beer? And he said, because I know you struggle with alcohol, and I care about you too much. In that moment, I recognized there was a human being on this earth outside of my mom that cared more about me than I did. These people that are standing are the visit, the, like they're these people that Moses had for him. They're my people. And there are people in this room that are in small groups every single week and they're grinding out sin and they're grinding out struggles and they're being real with each other. And if you want that, we're going to have signups come up soon. We'll talk about that at the end of the service, but you can be in that. And I welcome you. I would love to have you in my group if that's possible. Obviously not everybody can be in the same group, but we're all grinding towards the same goal of being better people. Thank you. You all can sit down. Thank you very much. So, no, you guys stay here. Stay, 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 stay. <laughs> so, we've got Aaron and her and Moses up there, right? But there's one last thing, and, I, and I'm going to have the band come up, and I know i got a bunch of stuff here. Hang on. All right, y'all can't eat this cake. I know I'm bringing it close, but I'm watching you. So, if the band wants to go ahead and come up, I'm almost done. So, there's one thing I want you to see. And it's this silhouette picture. So I'm going to put my arms back up, and I'm going to have them hold this. In Matthew, there's a story of Jesus going to the cross. And it says in that story that on this hill, Gethsemane, that the Savior of the world will die. And because of that, we are all free to step into the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And there were three men on that hill, and two sinners died beside Jesus. And I just want you to recognize the silhouette of what you're seeing. Thousands of years before that, Joshua stood in a valley, and he looked up on a hill, and he saw his best friends up there fighting to make sure that his battle was won, that the safety was in their hands, and that he would be victorious. And then thousands of years later, Jesus went on a hill and died in a very eerily similar silhouetted image with three figures and a crossbar. And now, thank you very much, what you guys can do in the struggle time when you're down in the valley and you're drawing your swords on sin and temptation and issues, you can look to the cross. You can look to Jesus. You can look to the man who died on a hill on a cross for you. And I don't say that to condemn you. It's like, that's for you. No, it's for you. It's for us. He did it because he so, 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 so loved you. And he wanted you to be in freedom. He wanted you to know that even in the battle, I've got you. When you go out there, and I know it's hard in marriage. I know it's hard in relationship. I know it's hard in life in general. I know it's hard. But when you get tired, when you're here, and you feel like you're alone because there are going to be times where you're going to be standing here and it's going to feel like no one's got you or nobody and you're just you're going to be fighting and your arms are going to be coming down and you're just going to feel like you're losing and losing and losing and losing and it's exhausting but all you have to do is pause and look to the hill 
look to the one who has already won the battle for you. He's got the security in his hands. He's got the strength to withstand the day. And he will hold this bar up for you every single day if you let him. Every single day if you invite him into the challenge. That's the challenge. Is to in the moments where you feel like I've got nothing left. Look to Jesus, the one who has secured your victory. The one, like that first song we sang tonight, which is amazing, who took us out of the grave with him because we were dead and lost and we needed a savior. So he said, sure, I got you. I will come to earth. I will be beaten. I'll be spit on. I'll be betrayed. I'll be murdered. And in three days, in three days, I'm coming out of that grave and I am bringing you with me. Are you in? That's all it is. Do you want it? You can start today with those two practical steps. Keep a cool head. Keep a cool head. Build your life on the rock. Just the same way Moses did. With the community that he has. The lifestyle that he lived. Build your life on the rock. That is the lesson we learn from Moses. And at any moment, when your life is built on the rock, you knew exactly where to look. Look to Jesus. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to worship one more song. And I invite you, wherever you are, I don't care where you are. I don't care if you're in the middle of a divorce, if you've been divorced ten times, if you're married, if you're single, if you're stuck in addiction, if you're out of addiction. I don't care. I have areas in my life that are stuck in addiction. I've got issues. Jesus doesn't matter. Jesus, or Jesus doesn't care about that. It doesn't matter to Jesus in that, what he sees you as, as a daughter or a son of Christ. That's what he sees. His father has claimed you already. He said, I want that one. I want Kelsey. I want Zach. I want them, all of them, every single one of you. He does not want to miss a single moment of your life simply because you weren't involving him. So you can start today, wherever you are. And if you've got questions, let's, I'll talk. I'll stay after until tomorrow if I have to. We'll talk. We'll figure this out. But don't leave today if you feel like you're this close. Because I can tell you, I can tell you, as a man who's, who's, who is a failure in and out, that it is so worth it. There is nothing out there. There's nothing out there that's better. Not even close. It's all shallow. It's all empty. And it leaves you alone and tired and no farther than you were the day before. So we're going to get into worship, and I just invite you to, to talk with the Lord. Listen to the Word. Let them invade you. Let the Lord take control of you. Dear Lord, I just thank you for tonight. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. Thank you for using me, Lord. What a, what a blessing. What a, a humble time, Lord, to be used by the one who created everything. Lord, I pray that everything that was said tonight, everything that was done tonight was for you, was for your glory, for your kingdom growth, for your name's sake only, Lord. We do nothing for any other name but your name. And so, Lord, as we get into worship, I just pray. I pray for the hearts in this room. I pray that you attack them, that you knock down the concrete walls that they've built around their lives because it's just easier not to feel. Lord, I pray you knock those down and you soften the hard spots. You heal the wounds. You're close to the brokenhearted. That's what your word tells us. You are close to the brokenhearted. So come and be close to the brokenhearted. And let's all take a moment and just, just know you better. 
love you better, be closer to you. It's all in your son's name that we pray. Amen.